Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Friday, November 6th. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. President Trump in the fight of his political life as rival Joe Biden edges closer to 270. The former vice president leading by very slim margins in the decisive states of Pennsylvania and Georgia. The president lashing out, baselessly attacking the integrity of the election, as he's reportedly told insiders he's not planning to concede to Joe Biden. All this amid a nation in crisis, 122,000 COVID cases reported overnight, an all-time record as millions of Americans remain out of work with no relief in sight. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. We begin with the race for the White House. Former Vice President Joe Biden edging closer to 270. He currently has a narrow lead in Pennsylvania and in Georgia. Biden also leading by a thin margin. A vote recount has been ordered by the Secretary of State there. In his first appearance since the early hours of Wednesday morning, President Trump came to the White House briefing room Thursday evening to once again claim without evidence that the election is being stolen from him. It's going to end up perhaps at the highest court in the land. We'll see. But we think there'll be a lot of litigation because we can't have an election stolen like this. The president delivered a roughly 15-minute speech. It came as the ongoing vote tallies showed margins tightening in states crucial to his re-election bid. If you count the illegal votes, they can try to steal the election from us. His campaign filing several lawsuits, but some of them have already been rejected by judges in Georgia and Michigan on Thursday. Meanwhile, Joe Biden remaining optimistic. We have no doubt that when the count is finished, Senator Harris and I will be declared the winners. So I ask everyone to stay calm, all the people to stay calm. The process is working. The count is being completed and uh, we'll know very soon. And urging Americans to trust in the process. In America, the vote is sacred. It's how people of this nation express their will. And it is the will of the voters no one, not anything else, that chooses the president of the United States of America. Dozens of agents have been providing security for the Democratic candidate at the Chase Center on the riverfront in Wilmington, Delaware. But now reinforcements are being sent as he prepares for the possibility of being declared the winner of this election. Typically, the Secret Service ramps up protection for a president-elect immediately after that actually happens. And votes, as we've said, continue to be counted around the country. And joining us now to help make sense of all of this is a now friend of ours, Charles Zeldin, political science professor at Nova Southeastern University. Welcome back, Professor. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. So eyes are on a few key battleground states that should determine who will be the next president. So go ahead and talk to us a bit about where we are in this vote counting process as we keep staring at the same time at these handful of states like Pennsylvania. Well, in Pennsylvania, what we're seeing is that the vice president took a lead late last night, and that lead is now slowly, emphasis on the word slow, slowly growing. He's now over 12,000 uh, votes ahead of the president. Um, and with each group of 
ballots that come in, he's usually garnering about 80 to 90 percent of those votes, which is going to see his numbers increase. It won't be a humongous win, but it could be as much as as 15 to 30,000 votes uh, in his advantage when all the votes are finally counted. Meanwhile, in Georgia, there we're talking, we're talking Florida thin almost. It's only about 1,200 votes currently. Um, there are still votes outstanding, many of them from the Atlanta metro area, which implies they are likely to be for the vice president, but we won't know till they show up. And how many they total will be hard to say. So we're definitely in recount territory for the Georgia vote. I would like to elaborate on that now that you mentioned Georgia, since um, officials there have announced that the state is definitely heading to a recount. What does that mean both for the state as well as this presidential election? Well, the way recounts work today is it means that all the ballots will be run through the machines one more time. If in the process the numbers change significantly, um, uh, usually when it gets down to a handful of votes, most states will then have a uh, provision for a hand recount. But a hand recount usually means you only look at the ballots that did not register a vote. Um, so in most cases, though, a machine recount will change the outcome, but usually not more than 50 to 100 votes. Right. Now, people obviously want to know when this presidential race will be called. The media will continue to call states, but the media is not the state. So how will people know that the results are actually final? Um, every state has what they, they, they call a certification date, and it does vary by state by state. And essentially, about 10 to 15 days after the election, the, the committee in charge of the state election, uh, usually including the Secretary of State, sometimes the governor, uh, will meet and they will certify the counts from all the counties. And that then is official. And that then will determine who the electors will be for the Electoral College. Uh, but if, if one candidate is ahead by 30 or 40 or 50,000 votes, uh, odds are that it's, it, it's, it, the numbers aren't going to change. So we need to be very careful to describe it as the, the presumptive president-elect that, that we should know by today, maybe tomorrow, uh, if Biden has reached that point or not. Uh, for the president, he needs to figure out a way to switch the results in Pennsylvania. Now, the president has made allegations of election fraud without evidence. We heard him yesterday once again as states continue counting. What's your assessment of all this? Is this voting process working? Actually, the voting process and the counting process has been working wonderfully. Um, uh, we're, it's, everything is going the way it's supposed to. Now, there, there have been some questions about proper observers, there have been some questions that remain about provisional ballots and about ballots that arrived after the election date, but that were postmarked by the election date. And what's happening in states like Pennsylvania is they are segregating those ballots out. They will be the last to be counted. What we're hearing, though, is that the number of late arriving ballots is very small. So let's assume there were uh, a thousand of these ballots in Pennsylvania that arrived 
after the election day, but we're postmarked the ele- on the election day. Even if they get thrown out, that's not going to cut very much into the vice president's lead in Pennsylvania. And if he's ahead in Pennsylvania, he is going to be our next president. Very interesting. Thank you so much, Professor Charles Zeldin of Nova Southeastern University, always with a very complete analysis. Thank you. Have a great one. Thank you. And now let's go to Edwin Pitti. He's at the White House with the latest from the Trump campaign. Edwin, what are you hearing at this time? That's right, Andrea. After a silent night here at the White House, President Trump woke up and took to Twitter his frustrations about the whole situation happening right now regarding the votings and how that is comparing to the amount of votes by Biden that is surpassing the president in four states. But the president echoing words made by a Fox News anchor this morning saying Philadelphia has got a rotten history on election integrity. But we have information that the attorneys from the re-election campaign set up the whole night tried to find a way to fight against alleged election fraud. But the president re-election campaign also issuing the following statement saying this election is not over. The false projection of Joe Biden as the winner is based on results in four states that are far from final. Georgia is headed for a recount where we are confident we will find ballots improperly harvested and where President Trump will ultimately prevail. That was said by Matt Morgan. But of course, that campaign wasn't the only one who had something to say. The Joe Biden campaign also saying, as we said on July 19th, Americans will decide this election. We also know that there was a lot of tension inside the White House because because of the silence by members of the Republican Party, such as Kevin McCarthy and also Mitch McConnell. But that was ended this morning as well by Senator Lindsey Graham, who has something to say about the president. Take a listen. Democracy depends upon fair elections. President Trump's team is going to have a chance to make a case regarding uh voting irregularities. They deserve a chance to make that case. I'm going to stand with President Trump. If a Democrat were doing this, it'd be cheered on. And we're not going to let the media intimidate us. Another person that will remain loyal to the president is Larry Kudlow. He's an economic advisor to the president. We had the chance to talk to him a couple of minutes ago, and he said that he will stick with President Trump. He added, this is a great country. This is a great democracy, and we will abide by the rule of law. But another person who has something to say was the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. Take a listen. Sadly, instead of crushing the virus, It appears that the Trump administration will use its final moments in office and a desperate last step to destroy every possible protection for American health and well-being. Andrea, we have information that President Trump told his inner circle that he's not planning to concede the election and even if his path to victory is blocked. Many people are wondering who is going to be the one coming forward and tell the president that his re-election is walking away from him. Now we know that even his chief of staff, Mark Meadows, is telling him that they need to explore every single way for him to remain in the White House, even if that means ending up in the Supreme Court. Reporting from the, life, uh, from the White House, Andrea, back to you. Thank you, Edwin. It's been a very busy and long week. 
And Philadelphia police are investigating a plot to attack the center where votes are currently being counted. Police reportedly received a tip about a group driving from Virginia to Philadelphia to attack, allegedly, the Pennsylvania Convention Center. And that's where people have gathered to tabulate ballots from the area. Police believe they have recovered a vehicle and weapons in connection to this alleged attack. A second night of protests last night outside the Clark County Election Department in Nevada attracted a large vocal crowd claiming fraud. The protests against what organizers allege is election fraud began at approximately 6 p.m. outside the Election Department office in North Las Vegas and grew in size as the protests went on. Also in Miami, Florida, supporters of President Donald Trump took to the streets yesterday on a very rainy evening. The supporters, most of them Latino voters who helped the president win Florida on election night, said they are drawing attention to what they perceive as a voter fraud against uh, Trump and his re-election. However, election officials in many states have already debunked many of their specific claims. And joining us now to talk more about this election is Chris Liu, former senior member of the Obama administration. Thank you so much for being here today, Chris. Thank you. So the presidential race hasn't been called yet, but Biden clearly looks to be in the driving seat, which has left President Trump pursuing various legal challenges in key battleground states. Talk to us about the status of those challenges. Well, I think they're going to continue to crop up. This is a White House that's indicated that um, they're just going to continue doing this and try to put as many obstacles in the way of vote counting. Uh, in contrast, what you saw from Vice President Biden yesterday was a statement that, look, democracy can sometimes be messy, uh, but let's be patient and let's have all the votes be counted. And so I think that's what's going to happen. I think the vote counting will continue mm -hmm. likely through the weekend and in some states until next week. But I think it'll become increasingly more clear uh, that there really are no pathways for uh, Donald Trump to be reelected. And the only question is, is uh, whether he finally concedes. I think he won't. And that's what we're hearing, that he won't concede. Last night, President Trump held a press briefing that many found troubling, mainly due to the president's allegations of widespread voter fraud without any evidence. As a former senior White House official in the Obama administration, what's your view on that briefing and the things he had to say? You know, you're exactly right. This was troubling. This is the kind of rhetoric that we criticize uh, autocratic leaders in other countries making. We don't expect that in the United States. Uh, we have a long tradition in this country of the peaceful transfer of power, of respecting the rights of people to vote, of not delegitimizing our institutions, including our voting system. Look, let's make sure all the votes are counted. Let's make sure it's done fairly and freely. Uh, but it really serves no purpose for the president uh, to be engaging in these series of baseless allegations. Um, he's clearly intent that if he can't find a legal path to win, uh, he's just going to destroy these institutions of our government. What, if anything, do you think will be the long-term impact of Trump's handling of falling behind in key states? Could there be broader ramifications of what appears to be his refusal to accept uh, the legitimacy of the results? You know, I'm hopeful that after a couple of days of this, he um, finally comes to his senses, whether it's um, on his own or on the advice of, it, of people around him, and, and finally tries to engage in that tradition that we have in this country uh, that we've been doing for 200 years, which is the peaceful transfer of power, uh, often between presidents who uh, who ran against each other. Um, because I do think this is this moment, it's important to put the national interest above his own 
personal political interest. Now, of course, there's nothing uh, in Donald Trump's recent history that has suggested he could do that. And I fear that if he continues down this path, the divisions in our country, which have been so evident over the last couple of years, just continue to widen. We were just mentioning that it's possible that the president doesn't concede to Joe Biden. What happens then if Biden hits that magic number of 270 electoral votes or more? What would be the process if he doesn't concede? Well, look, I, I think at some point the networks will um, call the election for Joe Biden. We need to understand right now we're that we're in the period right now of a presidential transition. I have a little bit of experience with this, having run President Obama's 2008 transition. Um, it's a very relatively short period of time from Election Day to Inauguration Day, and it's going to be important for the Biden uh, people to stand up basically a new government uh, and to ensure that on January 20th of 2021 that they can actually take control of the federal government. And in order to do that well, it really requires cooperation with the outgoing administration. So if this is a president who decides not to cooperate, that's not just bad for a president-elect Biden, but it's bad for our country. Uh, because this is a period of time when we know that foreign adversaries may try to take advantage of uncertainty. So there are some serious national security and homeland security considerations that need to be taken into account. There will be lots of anxiety during the next couple of weeks, that's for sure. Thank you so much, Chris Liu, former senior Obama White House cabinet member. Meanwhile, President Trump and Joe Biden are also in a tight race in Arizona. That's another key state. If Biden wins the state, it would be the first time Arizona elects a Democrat since the year 1996. Many attribute changing demographics to that political shift. And joining us now is Stephanie Maldonado. She's the campaign director for Lucha, a grassroots organization in that state in Arizona. Welcome, Stephanie. Welcome. Hi. Good morning from Phoenix. Um, thank you for having me. So, Stephanie, Latino voter turnout broke records around the country, including in your state of Arizona. What do you attribute that to? Yeah, I mean, it didn't happen overnight. Um, grassroots organizations have been organizing since 2010, since the passage of Senate Bill um, 1070. Um, in that moment, we saw a lot of communities come together and, you know, wanted to fight to change the political landscape that was here in Phoenix and er across Arizona. So from there, we started organizing, we started knocking on doors, we started calling voters. And 10 years later, we see um, a drastic shift where we now we saw about 75% um, Latino voter turnout this year. Voting results in certain key regions of the country have led to some conversations about general voting patterns of the Latino vote, but Latinos are not a monolithic group. So what's the specific makeup of Latino voters in Arizona as opposed to populations elsewhere in the country? Yeah, so the makeup of here in um, Arizona, we see a more uh, Mexican-American demographic in Arizona. We, many, um, I'm not, there's other um, Latino populations that live here in Arizona, but the majority are Mexican, identify as Mexican or Mexican-American. The Latino turnout in Arizona appears as if it's been key to turning that state blue. As an organizer on the ground, what was key in mobilizing those voters and turning them out? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of um, conversations, a lot of trust building that we needed to do a year after year. Um, the work that we do is year-round. It's not about showing up every four years um, for an election. 
coming in and gaining the community's vote. It's about having conversations, connecting with them, and being able to um, relate with them based on our own personal experiences. So people like me, people like our canvassers, people who have been doing the calls throughout this entire year and even before this year, we ourselves have been impacted by laws who that have separated us from our families, that have, you know, worsened our life conditions. And, you know, that's where we were able to speak from experiences with our community. And we were able to build that trust to be able to then move our community from not just being inactive voters to, to being activated voters. Now, there is one person who is getting a lot of credit for a Democratic success in Arizona, and that's Cindy McCain, the widow of late Republican Senator John McCain, who endorsed Biden. How did you all feel about that? I mean, I think it definitely helped. Um, you know, there people like, um, you know, that endorse candidates will definitely have their own base that, you know, follow them, that trust them. But I think at the end of the day, what really shifted Arizona was not that, you know, it was the efforts of our of community groups across the state that have, like I mentioned, you know, who, that have been organizing, that have been building relationships with communities and are not just popping in, making appearances, um, you know, every, every so often. We are here, we are invested. And I think definitely the endorsement of candidate is helpful to be able to activate that specific person's base. But I think what turns out base even further and um, deeper is the is the direct contact, being on the ground and having those direct conversations with community. Well, thank you so much, Stephanie Maldonado of the organization Lucha in Arizona. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your News, your world, You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. As we wait to find out who will be the next president of the United States, the country breaking a global record again in 24 hours, reporting the most coronavirus cases in just one day. Some battle states among those seeing a record increase in cases as more cities implement restrictions. Lorraine Cáceres has the very latest on the situation. On Thursday, another staggering jump in coronavirus cases across the country. By Johns Hopkins University's tally, another 121,890 people tested positive for COVID-19, a jump of more than 19,000 cases since Wednesday. 17 states are setting records for hospitalizations. The COVID tracking project reporting more than 53,000 patients across the country. In Iowa, healthcare workers pleading with residents to help them fight the spread. I'm asking you as an emergency department physician, as a father, and as a husband, please protect your families, our community, and our healthcare workers by wearing a mask, avoiding large gatherings, maintaining physical distancing, and using meticulous hand hygiene. 
In New Mexico, general hospital beds are 82% occupied, while ICU beds are 75% occupied. In Ohio, every county is seeing significant community spread, according to Governor DeWine. And in Massachusetts, new restrictions going into effect. The state now requiring liquor stores, movie theaters, and gyms to close at 9.30 p.m. Restaurants also ordered to stop serving by that time every night. We could feed 20, 30 more people between the hours of 9.30 and 11. And if people are spending, you know, anywhere from 200, that's an extra almost $1,000 worth of business. We have to cut staff and we have to unemploy people. And that's not right. Meanwhile, as the nation waits Good to find George. out who will be the next president and what it will mean for the future of the pandemic, that. Colorado, Illinois, Utah and battleground states like Pennsylvania and Wisconsin setting new daily records for infections on Thursday. In Missouri, officials revealing that a poll worker tested positive for COVID-19 but failed to quarantine. Instead, working the polls on election day. The county saying that that worker has since died, but the official cause of death is unknown. And so far this month, in just a short week, 20 states have hit their records in coronavirus cases. The CDC now says that 31,000 people could die of COVID-19 between now and Thanksgiving. Andrea, back to you. So sad. Thank you, Lorraine, for that report. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.